Chicago's all-decade tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 104.3 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Yes, we are here. Players Club. Chad Brown back in the building. Yes. In the face. In the face. What is that? From coming to America. You haven't. Okay. I've seen coming to America, but uh, it was never like one of my movies that I was like, you know. (sighs) You young kids today. No idea what great movie making is. Okay, Boomer. Who made that movie? Who's the director? Um, Landis, I believe. I don't know, man. Okay. Orlando Franklin in the house um, as he gets situated and plops down in his chair, opens the blinds. It's a, it's a hot. Another it's going to be another hot day, but not as hot for, as where you just were. You were in Arizona, and it's like uh, experiencing some like historic heat waves there, which is saying something. Right, right. Uh, one thirteen, you know, one one fourteen days like that. So, uh, what do you do on those days, Chad? You avoid going outside. Uh, if you got to walk a dog, you do it very early, or you do it very, very late. So that the dog only gets one walk outside a day, and then he says all day. Well, well they actually have like uh, dog agility inside in air conditioned places. You have to take your dog dog agility. Yeah, you got to do that. Otherwise, your dog won't. Get the The pavement is too hot; it'll burn your little pup's paws, man. Yeah, and what do you do with the kiddos too? You got to take them to some indoor play facility. You got to spend money. Yeah. You can't just take him outside of the park. This is part of the Arizona lifestyle, man. What happens if your air conditioner breaks? Uh, you may possibly die. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's up, Orlando? How you doing, man? I'm great, dog. Got a fresh haircut, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, looking like somebody's child today. Okay. Got what's the occasion, man? What's the out. occasion? Uh, just two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, every two weeks? Well, I, I try to get it every two weeks unless... You know, I just really have nothing going on. And then I start flirting with the, should I grow my hair back again? Should I not? Oh. You know, I'm still at that age, right? I'm still a millennial, right, guys? So I still flirt with growing the hair back. The cornrows may make another appearance? M- maybe. The oh, wife yeah? says no. Um, she's vetoed that. That's a reason. Don't. That's a reason right there to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, I like to, I like to keep uh, my household as, um, as united You're a grown man, possible. dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't. I can't hype you up. I can't. No. I can't. No. Muscle you into this one? Nope. Uh, nope. Life's good right now, man. Life's yeah, good. Get the cornrows. Maybe get the beard going and put a little couple little beads on it. You know what I'm saying? At the bottom. <laughs> the, the beard doesn't grow long enough. Okay. I wish. Right. Uh, this is about as good as it gets right here. As full as it gets. Uh, that's 35 years right here. Okay. 35 years. I've worked really hard for this. Impressive. Chad, you 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 had the dreadlocks in, in college. I, no, I had them in, as an NFL player. So so you're the one who should grow them back. You have the more, you know. Uh, yeah, it didn't work for me. Why not? <laughs> uh, gosh, I cut my dreads, man, because I, I played a game where I didn't make a single tackle. And I thought there was too much energy wrapped up in my hair. Some weird kind of metaphysical phenomenon was happening. I've been playing football since I was six years old. The first time in my entire life where I didn't make a single tackle. So I thought... But it's not like you grew them overnight. Like, you had had those for a while. For a and couple you were, of years. You were making tackles the previous games, right? Yes. 
So then maybe it was just a bad game. Yeah, it could have been. But I made it. I went home and made a very rash decision. <laughs> got to cut my arm off. I had a horrible game that uh, night. Just cut one of them off. I you don't. Know, as as Orlando would say, you know, uh, some of us are not superstitious, but some of us are a little stitious. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Yes, oh. so I was a little stitious about my hair. Somehow my energy had got trapped up in that hair, so it had to go. Mm. Do you guys think, uh, hearing that Michael Scott drop, are you guys fans of The Office? Of course. Do you watch The Office? No, I do not. I saw a little bit of uh, Michael Scott in both Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. Ooh. Very Michael Scottish dudes. Okay. Scottish. Uh (laughs) Do you see see the resemblance there? I could see, yes, from uh, (laughs) a... Which is... Okay, so that... The fact that you say it, one thing. The fact that I can instantly connect to it and agree to it. What does that say about Nathaniel Hackett that his leadership style is compared to Michael Scott? That is a bad place to be as well, a leader. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you this though. He's beloved. Not Michael only Scott's beloved, but successful. Dunder Mifflin was pretty successful as a branch. The Scranton branch. Yeah, compared to some of the other branches, <laughs> man. He may have had some unorthodox style, right? But he got his his uh, employees to care. He fostered a family. Environment, it, it, work didn't come first. Family came first. You know, sometimes they would go into the meeting room and just watch uh, eight straight episodes of The Entourage <laughs> instead of working that day. Right, right, Movie right. Monday, right? Right. <laughs> that seems like Nathaniel Hackett's regime a little oh, bit. That's too funny. That is too funny. And the fact that Michael Scott was more successful than Nathaniel Hackett of the two in this comparison also is funny and telling. That's a stretch. Daniel Hackett is a is an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Right. He does have, you know, from a job perspective, he's got millions and millions and millions of dollars in his bank account, courtesy of the Denver Broncos. So if you're going to judge success on uh, bank accounts, he's done well for himself. Man, I wanted that thing to work out with Nathaniel Hackett. I didn't tell you. I don't know if I told you guys about this, but um, one of my best friends from college, he lives next door to Nathaniel Hackett's, like, best friend from college. Okay. And it's in a neighborhood where there aren't a lot of I thought that was uh, Ejiro. No? No. No, no, no. No, he's like, that, you know, Ejiro Evero was one of his teammates and buddies. But no, this is one of the, okay, one of his homies. One of his really close homies that he like still vacations with and hangs out with all the time. This guy lives next door to one of my best friends. And those two dudes hang out all the time. They drink beers. They politic. They look out at the lake or wherever they're at. Like they're in a kind of a secluded area. So if Nathaniel Hackett had blown up. I would have been right there, man. We all would have been right there. You included me and O when you say we all. Exactly. Oh, nice. I was going right. to maintain the integrity of the Players Club. I appreciate that. Um, but um, are you guys intrigued at all to watch Hard Knocks? It's going to be with the Jets. You're going to see some Hackett. You're going to see some Aaron Rodgers. You're going to see some Robert Sala. you see some, well, what else? But are you guys going to be watching that program? Yeah, Sauce Gardner. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm, I'm all in every, every year on Hard Knocks. Uh, this one particularly because of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, there will be some Nathaniel Hackett sightings, so a little direct correlation to what's ha- happened here in Denver. So absolutely looking forward to to Hard Knocks like I do every single year. So Aaron Rodgers, um, he spoke at a psychedelic conference out here a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how people are trying to cancel him. But they're going to have a hard time canceling him because the year before he tried ayahuasca, he had 26 in, uh, touchdowns and like 10 interceptions. The year after... 46 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, MVP. Boom. He implied that it was the ayahuasca that made him so good at football. Okay, couple things. Why do people who are speaking into microphones at public events 
try to say, some, they're, they're trying to cancel me. You have a platform. In, you're speaking into the best platform microphone ever. You have this. Uh, no, that's you, not. That was in. That was in Boulder at a psychedelic conference. That's not the best microphone ever. Okay. Now he still has a platform. He right? goes on Pat McAfee's show. Yep. No one's trying to cancel you, Aaron. Just because people disagree with you and maybe find your points uh, off from what they think doesn't mean they're trying to cancel you. You're going to get paid, what, 50 million bucks to play quarterback. If that's being canceled, then I want to be canceled. You get exclusives on Pat McAfee's show, one of the hottest podcasts on the planet. You get exclusive time on the show. They pay reverence to you. They set you up and tee you up for whatever questions you may want. That is not being, if that is being canceled, everybody would love that kind of cancellation. That's absurd. To the second point. Ayahuasca. Did it help Aaron Rodgers? He's been MVP a couple of times. We've taken ayahuasca on all his MVP seasons. Um, you know, it may work for him. Uh, it could possibly work for others. But your play, your teammates, the level of accountability of your, or your teammates on the field was probably more important to your MVP season than the actual ayahuasca. Boom. Boom. I love when you say boom at the end. It's, you know, it's a, it's a boomer thing. Do you do that when you're arguing with your wife? No, because uh, I would be... Why not, Chad? Say it with your chest, man. What do you say when you're arguing with your wife? I'm sorry. <laughs> Go, that's what it is. Uh, when we're thinking about these New York Jets, the Broncos are hosting him here at Empower Field on October 8th in Game 5. At that point, they will be... What two and two, maybe one and three, maybe three and one. They got Vegas to start off. Washington at Miami at Chicago, maybe even four and zero. Oh. That would set up a pretty interesting game there. All right, we're off and rolling on a Thursday. It's hot out there. It's 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 the middle of July. Summer's in full swing. Hopefully, you're taking advantage of it. Chad, you weren't here yesterday, and we talked about some intriguing position battles heading into training camp. And I want your take on that. We'll do it next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. There was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. When they gather around and started talking, that's when Billy would take me walking. Out through the backyard, we go walking. Then he looked into my eyes. Lord knows to my surprise, the only one who could ever reach me. Well, Chad, you uh, you had a special day yesterday. Yeah, man. Oh, my birthday. Your birthday was yesterday. Yes, sir. Fifty-three. Three years old. Yeah, fifty-three years young. Chad Brown. Years. Young. I like that. That phrasing. Thank you. How are you feeling, man? Being so old. I mean. Like, <laughs> I'm feeling old, actually. No, yeah, no, I'm not yeah. feeling old. No, I feel good. I feel good. Um, it's it's not. You know, your testosterone falls by an average of two two to three percent per year as you get in your late thirties. I've heard that. I've actually said He's that point. on air. Uh, I, it's interesting because when you're younger, you it's hard to picture the fifties. I could I could picture myself at forty when I was in my twenties. Uh, in my thirties, I couldn't picture what fifty three would look like. Mm. Um, I've seen some 53-year-old dudes who don't look like life's treated them well, and I was hoping I would not be one of those guys. So I knock on wood, I think I'm holding it together pretty well. Um, the birthday dunks are done forever. I, I ended that at 50 years old. But uh, I do feel pretty good at 53, better than I thought I would feel. 
I think you got to start a new tradition, you know, um, no longer doing a dunk, but doing something else. Dunk a donut. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't eat donuts, dude. No, I don't. He doesn't eat donuts. He doesn't drink coffee. He doesn't eat hot dogs. Come on, man. But that's how I'm Did looking so good at 53. No donuts? The, the facts. I, I, listen, I how get my, the coffee. I get all the other things, but no donuts? I'll eat a donut occasionally. I'll probably a half. Will you go throw so, up afterwards? Like, one of those Dunkin' Donut little munchkin things last night. I had like 20 of them. Last <laughs> night? Yeah. A little midnight snack? Yeah. A fourth meal? Yeah, I mean, like about 10 o'clock. So you know when somebody wow. brings in donuts someplace? And then it's been there for a while. Then you come back and look, and there's like a half of a donut. Mm, yeah, that was me. I showed up and I took. You're half the half donut, donut guy. I'm you break half. it in half. You put your hands on it. I will use a napkin to keep the donut clean. Nobody knows that. Knife. But but it, yes, it, this it, guy it, breaks the donut. There, there's a half donut. You there's a half donut. donut. I'm that dude. Oh. I am that guy. Dude. Chad Brown. Take the whole donut, man. Although Nobody will, wants your half donut. I will eat a whole apple fritter because that's very fun and nostalgic for me. I'll tell you though, those are hit and miss with the apple fritter. They are quite because hit and miss. You can get one that's like looks good and it, it tastes like, you know, it's all glassy and yeah. like like the, you know, whatever the sugar they use. The, the glazy right. sugarness, yes. Yeah, yeah. So give me some real apple in it. It should be have a little crunch to it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Particular about my food gay. Food gay. <laughs> all right, Denver Broncos. Uh, actually, the rookies are reporting next week, nineteenth on the nineteenth, and we talked to Mike Cliss yesterday about what that meant for them, mostly meetings and whatnot. Um, maybe some on-field stuff, but you got to get these guys acclimated to the to the altitude, to the system, to the expectations, being around each other, just getting kind of the rhythm before the veterans come here. And then once the veterans get here, it's going to be on and cracking. Um, and <clears throat> I just wanted your take on some of these position battles that you think are intriguing in camp. Obviously, a quarterback maybe not a maybe not a battle, but it will be interesting to watch these guys side by side. Um, Jared Stidham was. Clearly, a priority free agent signing. I think it was like the you know first hour of 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 day one of free agency. There was Jared Stidham getting snatched up for maybe a little more money than we thought we'd spend on a backup, or at least a backup like Jared Stidham. So that'll be interesting to watch those guys execute the offense. Uh, running back room, maybe not really a battle. It's really about it's really about Javante Williams' health. Um, Samaji Pirine has been a one-two punch guy. Never been the bell cow. We'll see how that goes. To me, the receiver battle is going to be very intriguing because realistically every single guy on the depth chart there could make the team and anyone could get cut and I think there will be some surprise cuts and some surprises in that room the tight ends some unproven guys um, once again offensive line we talked about that yesterday Orlando thinks that really the only position that's up for grabs there is the center I would agree Lloyd Cushenberry and then Mm -hmm. on defense you got some intriguing stuff going on there with that at the opposite corner from PS2. Damari Mathis had a good rookie year last year, but now you got Riley Moss in the mix. Mike Cliss th- seems to think Riley Moss could also push K1 Williams for playing time at the nickel. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, the inside linebackers seem to be shorn up, but um, defensive line, you have some question marks uh, on. So, what are you looking at position wise going into this season? Well, you did a good breakdown, uh, top to bottom on the roster. I just think there's, you know, I guess a word we talk, this, define as a position battle. Uh, tight end room. None of these guys have the, at this point, a complete skill set. So is it a battle uh, or is it just going to be determined by, uh, you know, the particular play calling, what's happening in the game, who's going to be uh, trotted out there? I mean, we know Greg Dulcich has a speed. Uh, we've seen Alberto be athletic. But for Troutman and Manhurts, they've got to be able to block. So how that all plays out. But 
as far as a pure position battle of training camp, maybe Caden Stearns and Kareem Jackson. Uh, I know Caden Stearns is going to get uh, some serious looks to try to win that starting job. They obviously recognize that Kareem Jackson's not getting any younger. But as you go up and down the roster, there's some question marks. There's some interesting things to see how they'll play out. You know, how much is Marvin Mims going to play this year? Things like that. But as far as a pure battle, that may be the only battle that is worth watching uh, on this roster that I can see. Orlando, uh, so I just touched on Jared Stidham coming in here. And obviously, Russell Wilson's the high-priced quarterback. He's your guy going forward. At least you want him to be. What do you think Jared Stidham's role really is here on this team? Clearly, Sean Payton likes the guy uh, enough to bring him in. But how, how much could he push Russell Wilson? What What is Jared Stidham's actual role here on this team this season? Um, neck up. Um, how much are you in that playbook? I think Jared Stidham's role is to know that playbook as good as Russell Wilson or better. Not that you could make the throws, not that you could get in those high pressure situations and make the right calls. It's, you know, when we are sitting in that room and it's 73 degrees and the AC's blowing, can I ask you any question and you fire off the answer? That's how he earns the trust of Sean Payton. That's how he earns the trust of his offensive coordinator because it is Russell Wilson. It is all about Russell Wilson. But if you're asking your backup player questions and he's able to answer those questions every single opportunity that he's asked, now you know he's ready. So if you ever do see a situation where Russell Wilson's struggling, you feel a little bit more inclined saying, okay, you know what? The offensive line is not blocking. We're struggling. We don't want to get Russell Wilson hurt right now. We might go to Stidham. Or, hey, you know what? Russ is just struggling. We might want to go to Stidham just to get us out the out the rest of this game because Russ has already thrown three interceptions in the second half of this game. Or just things are not going well. We all watched this past year um, with the Dallas Cowboys uh, field goal kicker. What did he miss, like four of those things? Those yeah, extra yeah, points. Extra points right? yeah. Sometimes the body just goes haywire. Yep. So if Russell Wilson goes haywire, has Jared Stidham proved enough with asking, being asked questions and being in that backup role that, hey, he could go in? I don't think he's going to really get the opportunity to prove it with his arm strength, but he will get the opportunity to prove it neck up that he belongs in that room. And ultimately, you'll be a little bit more inclined if Russ is struggling to go to him have, had uh, Jared Stidham prove that he does understand this offense. All right, let me ask you this then, and, and, and a RamosLaw.com texter echoing the same thing I was going to ask you, because Mark Schler said this morning that Russell Wilson could be benched after six games if he plays bad. Um, this texter saying, I say, I say there's no chance of that happening. What do you think, Orlando? Do you, is there a game number? You just mentioned if, or, you know, if Russell thro- throws three picks or he's playing poorly, how much leash does he have before Jarrett Stidham gets the nod? I, I don't think it's really necessarily a game number, but at, at the same time, I do think it's how does it look over a couple games? Right. We look at last year. Remember, everybody was excited just to get the win against Houston. Well, the Broncos should have blown them out. So do you blow out the teams that you're supposed to blow out? And I think that that's more what it looks like for us, because you could be winning a quarterback, giving you horrible quarterback play at the same time. Right. Where the defense is balling out and all other 10 guys around Russell Wilson's having success. So I think it's more how does it specifically look from the quarterback position over the course of a couple games, and do you have a better opportunity to win with this person or win big with, with without this person? And I think that ultimately decides if you bench Russell Wilson or not. I think you mentioned something that um, that triggered a thought with me and experience that I had playing for the Broncos and when Jake Plummer was benched in favor of Jay Cutler. We were winning. 
but but we weren't winning pretty. Mm. And the quarterback wasn't putting up the kind of numbers that we're used to around here or that fans and media want to see. Um, we were winning, you know, the previous year, year we went 13-3, and almost went to the Super Bowl, but we were winning games like like the Broncos were losing them last year, like 16-9, to you know, 21-17, 14-11. And, but then we'd still get a lot of crap for it offensively because we weren't putting up those kind of numbers. And then, the, and you know, we didn't make it to the Super Bowl. The next year we were 7-2, and two, and that, was st- that conversation was still happening. We need someone in there who can put up points. We lost that next game and went to 7-3, and three, and the word came down as if, if we lost that following game, which was a Thanksgiving game in Kansas City, Jake was going to get benched and Jay was going to get put in there. We were 7-3 and three at the time that we went into Kansas City. Obviously, we know that's a really tough place to win, and we lost. Everybody played bad, including Jake, but all of us did. And Jake got benched with a winning record, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it all went down the hill, downhill from there. So... It is a delicate thing messing with chemistry. If you're winning, maybe you want to think about keeping the people in there. But you're absolutely right. We want to see our quarterback play look a certain way, especially for Sean Payton, who's played with Drew Brees for so long. He expects a certain type of play. Let's see if Russell Wilson could deliver that for him. I don't know if you guys checked out the ESPYs last night. I know you did, Orlando. There was a a lot of Colorado love in there. Also, some exciting news on the Hall of Fame front. Randy Gratishar and Mike Shanahan headline a group of former players, Broncos, they're Hall of Fame semi-finalists. We're going to do that and more next in the Morning Mixtape. The Players Club welcomes you into the Morning Mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. Who said Colorado athletes don't get any love? Did you check out the ESPYs last night? Bales own Michaela Schifrin won best female athlete along with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray winning best NBA player and best comeback player of the year. Here's Jamal Murray during his acceptance speech. Well, I thank my family, my friends, my coaches, the whole Denver Nuggets organization, all the fans for having belief in me from the start. But I want to give a big shout out to my teammates for helping me get my confidence back. KCP, one of them right there, my brother. But, you know, all season long, all rehab long, you know, they uh, supported me through the ups and downs of the rehab of the season of the playoffs, which meant a lot uh, for me to get here today. And obviously without the team success, you know, this is not even possible, you know, so this amazing award could have gone to any one of the amazing nominees. You know, you saw Justin Verlander, Melissa Thomas off the Achilles, which we are all sports people, you know, that's one of the hardest injuries to come back from. But yeah, I'm blessed to be here, Best, blessed to be in front of you, all you guys legends, and thank you very much, much love. Clearly, that meant a lot to him. You could tell it in his voice. Um, guys, how, what do you think that means to Jamal Murray to get recognized in that manner? Obviously, he's not an MVP or anything, Orlando, but he is Comeback Player of the Year, honored in front of all of his peers. How do you think that, well, how do you think that lands with a guy who's been through what he's been through? I think it means everything, especially with just how the road that he had to take, right? 550 days until he played competitive basketball uh, last season kind of the Nuggets saying, hey, there's really nothing wrong with Jamal. Um, Jamal basically needs to kind of get out of his head. There's nothing really that we could do for this injury. And at a time 
when that's happening, you could feel like nobody supports you. Nobody um, is willing to, you know, pound on the table and, and understand what you're going through. Heck, they haven't been through the injury, and you might be in your head in a situation like that, but for you, Jamal to come back and have the season that he had and bring one of the first, bring the first championship to Denver for the Nuggets in 47 years, it's unbelievable. And now he is getting the recognition that he does deserve. So, you know, I, I think that ultimately, you know, you set out to win a championship, but I think that this means it's like a 1B for Jamal Murray as far as winning the finals and, and getting an award like this, especially with the road that he had to take to get to this point. Feels good, man, when you get your flowers, when you have the road that Jamal Murray has had to get here. Uh, it's nice to be recognized. It gives you uh, confidence. It instills a, a deeper set of belief within you that you can get this whole thing done. So for Jamal Murray to, to win that award, uh, I think pays dividends on the court this year. Uh, for a, a guy like this who, you know, battled through injury and, you know, really had some times this year where he was still clearly kind of coming back from that injury. Um, it was nice to see him play as well as he did. It's nice to see him get recognized because we thought pretty much the whole Nuggets playoff run that this team was being overlooked. So now to win an award like an SB Jamal Murray, I think, uh, and the presence of Nikola Jokic and the championship now have solidified the Nuggets uh, on the national thoughts of basketball fans. So, uh, yeah, uh, best comeback player of the year for Jamal Murray, leader in the clubhouse potentially for next year's comeback player of the year. Damar Hamlin was in the house last night as well, presented a, a Pat Tillman Award to the training staff that resuscitated him. Not a dry eye in the house. But Orlando and I had a discussion when you were gone, Chad, about Damar Hamlin's return mm-hmm. and why a guy would come back after almost dying after and go back and do the sport that just almost killed you in front of the whole world that puts you in a state of well hanging on to life uh, do you have any thoughts on on why a guy would return after a near death experience like that the game of football for those who have not played it uh, is one of the perhaps most addictive things that you could ever ever do um, and so for Demar Hamlin to want to get back on the field it speaks to his pure love of, of the game and the real physical, visceral, mental uh, soul-stirring aspects that football brings you that unfortunately there's no other place in life to get. I mean that's why guys struggle with the transition leaving football. This is why a guy like DeMar Hamlin is trying to get back on the field. This is why guys, you know bleed and sweat and cry to recover from injuries so they can get back on the field. There is just something amazing about this game that uh, is difficult to articulate to those who have not been out there and, and played it. But DeMar Hamlin's dedication to get back on the field, I think, should speak to those who have a, a question about, you know, what's it like out there? It's so amazing that you could almost die and you're going to say, I can't wait to get back out there and do it again. Yeah. I think, you know, this opens up the door for a really fun conversation because I really believe that depending on who you ask, what they see, when you look at the game of football, when you look at the NFL, that you're going to get different answers from different types of people, right? The fan aspect, you're going to get a completely different answer than even us three that have played in the NFL. 
you know, when I looked at the game of football, I saw generational wealth. I saw a way to get my family, put my family in a situation that they have never been in before. I saw, you know, a means where it stopped right here with how people in my family came before, where now it's about getting a college education. It's about opening doors that necessarily weren't open for us before, right? So for me now, I was willing to go through anything to accomplish those things because that's how I looked at the game of football. So when you look at DeMar Hamlin coming back right now, I would wonder what does he see when he look at the game of football? You know, because obviously he sees a lot more as far as why he's willing to risk his life again, knowing that he almost died before. It's a powerful thing, the sport of football. And when it's over, it is over forever. You're never going to get back on that field. Guys, good news for the Broncos, former Broncos, and their Hall of Fame uh, prospects. Randy Gratishar and Mike Shanahan headline a group of former Broncos that are Hall of Fame semifinalists. Lists of former Broncos includes Gratishar, Shanahan, Dan Reeves, and Alex Gibbs. Guys, is this, Orlando, I'm going to ask you, is this finally the year both Shanny and Gratishar make the Hall of Fame? I think so, man. I think that, especially for Mike Shanahan, you, you look at kind of what's transpired over the last couple of years, I think he has a real shot. And, you know, teams are going to continue to model their type of offensive play by him. So, yeah, um, 100%. It's nice to see Alex Gibbs' name up there as well. Yeah. He also changed the game when it comes to offensive line play. And you see a lot of guys implementing his techniques and implementing his terminology as well in the NFL, in today's NFL. Yeah, Stink speaks very, very highly of having played for Alex Gibbs and just the kind of the demanding nature, the vulgar nature, but also the teacher. <laughs> the Master tac- splinter. Yeah, the tactician, mm-hmm. the technician. Chad, what was it like playing against those offensive lines? It was uh, it was as difficult of a task as I faced in my entire career. Uh, they played extremely well as a unit. They were all very well coached. Um, I've talked ad nauseum about the you know cuts, cutting tactics of the offensive line, trying to cut your feet from underneath you. It's hard to worry about Terrell Davis and tackling him if you're worried for your you know your legs every single play. Uh, they struck fear in every defensive lineman, every linebacker group they played against. Uh, because they were so good, because of that style of play. Um, and Alex Gibbs, I think, prepared that group as as well as any offensive line that I have played in all my 15 years. So all the former Broncos who are nominated as far as the senior Hall of Fame class and then the coaches slash contributors class, um, hopefully they, they all make it. They'll be cut down to, I think, 12 for the senior class, and I think they, they bring the coaches' contributor class down to 12 as well, and then they'll make the final selections from there. So these guys. There's only one coach going to go in, right? Yeah, uh, one coach or contributor, I believe. Yep. Now, they expanded the seniors to up to three. Okay. So we'll see if guys like Gratishar and guys like that are able to get in, but uh, at, the, at least the process is beginning to gain some momentum for these former Broncos. Yeah, all four of these guys deserve it, and all four of these guys hopefully will be in eventually, but um, we're thinking maybe Randy Gratishar and Mike Shanahan could be in this season, so uh, let's let's hope so. As far as the Demar Hamlin chat conversation we were just having, Chad from from the Ramoslav.com text line, Demar wants a million dollar salary. Screw the love of the game. What do you think about that, Chad? It's not about the love of the game; it's about money. Uh, I don't think. Okay, Demar Hamlin's foundation got, was given over ten million dollars. You know, obviously, he can continue to run his foundation and be a part of it. As a, as a head of the foundation, you can receive money. Uh, so I think he could walk away and feel okay about his finances. Money is certainly an aspect of the NFL, um, but I don't it's think an aspect of life. But I don't think you come back from a life threatening 
uh, I guess it was, we, we would call an injury, without having a love for the game. So, Do you uh, not believe that Jamar Hamlin could make a million dollars a year right now with what he just went through? I certainly, I think he could. He's yeah, close to off it. of the football field, right? Yes. <laughs> He's got so much fame and so much, so much notoriety, he could clear a million bucks, yes. But he loves the game like we all did, yes. like we all do. We, oh, if I could go out there and strap it up, I'd do it for free, man. Not for free. Uh, not for free, but I do love the game. I'm yeah, not even I doing it for a million much. dollars. Yeah, a million dollars won't even get you out of bed, will it, Orlando? Yeah, it's not going to be to play for football. I promise you that. Not training camp and all that. Can't right. do it. I'll do it for a million. I cannot. I'm going to be in the hospital, dog. You don't want I'll be in the hospital, too, but I'll no, have a million dollars. Forget all that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, there's an opportunity for the Denver and surrounding communities to come together for a really important cause here. Um, during the Nuggets Championship Parade, we all heard the story. The fire truck carrying Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic was swarmed by fans in an attempt to stop and prevent the fans from getting too close. Sergeant Justin Dodge had his leg rolled over and had to have that leg amputated earlier this week. It's really sad news, um, and we want to help out Sergeant Dodge. You can donate to Sergeant Dodge, Dodge and his family. You just go to SGT, JustinDodge.com, if you'd like. That's SGT. J-U-S-T-I-N-D-O-D-G-E dot com and help him out. Um, clearly a tragedy in the mid- middle of a celebration and um, we want to help out Sergeant Dodge and his family. Alright, so who will lead the Broncos in sacks this year? Chad, you're the sack master. Maybe you can elucidate, shed some light on this, well, murky scene. That's next. <laughs> VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. There really is a dude who texts in every single day about our music and, and calls and calls us soft and sissies and says that. He has 50-plus tailgaters that go to every game, and they don't, they like man music, like rap and hip-hop and whatever else. And Tears for Fears is great. No, but the previous, the, the son of a preacher, man, he hated, he, he texted in about that. Again? Yeah. It's a great song. I mean, I mean, it'd it be, I sometimes. You just it, always, just always listen to rap or always hip-hop? I don't know. Don't you have to be involved in a little bit of different genres depending on the mood like are you always in the mood for rap and hip hop apparently no, this I'm guy not. is I am not <laughs> I said you don't like good music he said man music question mark hip hop rap old school not Taylor Swift Britney Spears come on man players club Barbie club and then he texted mm. again and said next time players club at brothers barbecue my 50 plus tailgaters will be there wearing pink ha <laughs> ha mm. cool Come on, yeah, come on down, man. You, you it's delicious barbecue. Yeah. You can wear pink. We're not going to judge you, man. You can pull all that pink stuff out, and you can you can wear it, man. In every club I've ever been to, have you know, whether you're there for a couple hours or there for just an hour, I feel like they change the genre of music at some point. And Dusty Springfield is come on, it's, she's classic. Son of a preacher, man, is an all time great. Doesn't Cypress Hill? 
sample that song? Yeah. It's yeah. One of their songs as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Axe, and who's going to lead this team in sacks? And we actually got some interesting information from Mike Kliss yesterday. I hadn't heard it before. Maybe everyone knew that. But Baron Browning, not on track to be ready for the start of the season. In fact, he said, hey, uh, pencil him in as kind of a mid-season plug-in, like, mm. which means maybe not at all mm-hmm. and when I'm listening to that because that's probably an optimistic, like, hey, it's not going too great. So let's let's start to envision what this is going to look like without Baron Browning because we're going to have to. Okay. Um, and so Baron Browning. So the two sack leaders last year for the Broncos are no, no longer here. Draymond Jones, Bradley Chubb. Draymond Jones has six and a half sacks. Bradley Chubb had five and a half sacks. Yesterday we got our text on the RumbleSlaw.com text line, and I and I didn't get a chance to answer it. Someone asked, "How do you get a half a sack?" Chad, how do you get a half a sack? Uh, sack numbers are always highly disputed and discussed in edge rooms and defensive line rooms. Who who got there first? Is it a full sack for me? Uh, do we split this thing? Uh, so the <sighs> basically, if two guys get there at the same time, then they share half a sack. And depending on the coaches and how they're recording things, maybe you're the guy who gets a hand on them. And then you chase the quarterback, and he runs into somebody else. So then both guys will share a half a sack. Um, sometimes you can hit the quarterback, but he's still on his feet. And then he runs into somebody else, and that guy really didn't do much. And he gets a full sack. So I can't say definitively how it's going to be recorded every single time. It's, it's generally up to the coaching staff how they how they do that, how they break that down. Um, there's the official stats that are done at the game, uh, but then the coaches kind of amend those. Um, so basically, it's when two guys share one sack. All right. So there's your answer. Hopefully, hopefully the same listener is listening today. But uh, the Denver Broncos were not great at sacking the quarterback last year. They were near the bottom, well, the bottom third of the league. Now, we talked about Philly yesterday, how there were four players who had double-digit sacks. And uh, we, we talked about <laughs> what it would take to get the Broncos to that to that kind of production, clearly it was a it was a special year for the Eagles. They had seventy sacks as a team. The next highest was Kansas City with fifty five. So the Eagles were putting unprecedented kind of pressure on the quarterback. Had four guys, like I said, with double digits. The Broncos were near the bottom with only thirty six sacks. Thirty six sacks, and after Bradley Chubb left, only twelve, I think, in nine weeks. Yeah. So um, they were on a pretty good pace at the beginning of the season, and then fell off. Chad, why? Why did they fall off? Was it because Bradley Chubb left? Was it because Randy Gregory got hurt? Was it the injuries? Or did Bradley Chubb's leaving really affect things uh, as far as putting pressure on the quarterback? It did. Um, There was a number of guys who were, you know, playing those spots, not quite as capable as Bradley Chubb was. Let's not forget there's an offensive component to getting sacks. You want to be in the lead. So then as a pass rusher, you can pin your ears back because the opposing offense is going to be forced to throw the ball. So without a good offense like the Eagles had, who was second on the list? You said the Chiefs, right? Yeah, with 55. They play a pretty good brand of offense as well. They're typically ahead in ball games. So your offense allows you as a defense to then pin your ears back and get after the quarterback because you have them down. And they've got to pass the ball to get back into the game. Particularly now, if you can play well on first and second downs as a defense, even if your offense isn't scoring a lot of points and you're continually forcing third and long situations, you know, there's a saying that you earn the right 
to rush the quarterback on third down by defending the run on first and second down. This team wasn't necessarily great at defending the run on first and second down. So it's third and five. You know, can you really pin your ears back and go for it? Because it could be a draw. It could be a screen. It could be a run play. There's a lot of things that could happen on third and four, third and five, as opposed to third and nine or third and 12. So those are factors as well. But let's just face facts. Uh, there's not a as talented of a pass rusher uh, on or as available as a pass rusher as Draymond Jones was last year or Bradley Chubb left on this roster. Randy Gregory, there's talent. Availability is in question. Baron Browning, hope it takes a big step this year, but availability for this particular season is in question. Frank Clark has never put up great regular season numbers since he's been in Kansas City. He's got some good playoff numbers, but not a true great pass rusher. Zach Allen has grown into what he is, but I'm not sure if he's a double-digit guy. Uh, Nick Benito... You know, when you if you're going to be on the field and you can't adequately play the edge and defend the run, then you only become a situational pass rusher. So I'm not sure if he's going to get enough opportunities to be a seven or eight plus sack guy. So all those factors end up where I think we don't have one guy or two guys with ten or twelve. We have lots of guys with four to seven sacks uh, on this Broncos defense. You know, the Broncos last year defensively was exceptional in defending the pass on the back end. Right, Josie Jewel, Alex Singleton, these DBs, they were exceptional. They weren't exceptional when it comes to the talent up front in rushing the passer because they got the opportunities, but yet they only had 36 sacks on the season. All right, Draymond, a large part of on the back half, the nine games after Bradley Chubb got traded or however many games it was, was Draymond was playing out of position. When you play out of position and you're asking him now to be a stand-up guy and rush the passer a completely different way, but, oh, by the way, you have to set the edge and play the run, there's going to be a lot of moving parts for a guy like Draymond. So no question that his game was going to drop off. But when you look at the guys outside of Draymond Jones and Bradley Chubb last year, they lacked talent. There wasn't enough talent. There was too many guys that came in and they were specific guys like Nick Benito. You could rush the passer, but you can't set the edge, right? So now you only couldn't put him in the game with certain situations. There was too many. Um, when you get into that as a whole entire football team where you have too many guys that are specialists in certain things, you're not a good football team. You have to have guys that specialize in everything that could do it all. You know, the, the harder teams, that, or I played offense tackle this week. When you go up against guys that can do it all, those are the guys that keep you up at night. Those are the guys that you know are going to keep going and going and going. When you know a guy, oh, 42, he's only coming in with pass situations. Oh, he only does this, or he doesn't have an array of moves. He can't transition into a secondary pass rush move. All I got to do is shut down the first one. You're licking your chops, and that's what the Broncos fell into. So I think it was a lack of talent when you look at this group. And, you know, there has been some additions this off season, but still, I don't think that this group is one of the more talented groups in the NFL when you stack up against other football teams. I, When you put it like that, and, and considering you know the what Chad mentioned, that sometimes an, a, a, a team's ability to sack is based on the offense that they have and the numbers they're putting up in the situations, but Broncos had 36 sacks last year. Do you see them surpassing that total this year? Um, well, tell me about the injuries. Because, uh, honestly... If you go into this season and, and Randy Gregory can't go, and now you're already talking about Baron Brown and missing some time, and oh man, if you know DJ Jones gets banged up, this football team was you're going to go into games and you're going to say where's Zach Allen? That's what the offense is going to say. 
and now you're just going to slide the protection to him and you're going to make sure you, 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 you shore him up and you single everybody else up. So how healthy can this football team be? I think this football team is going to be a lot more healthy this year than they were last year. Remember, the Denver Broncos last year went into the bye week, came out the bye week more banged up than going into it, right? <laughs> so like there were some things that are, were unconventional that were happening. But I think that when you look at this group and you talk about yeah, are they going to have a better better season than last year? It's going to be about the injuries for this team because this team lacks depth. It doesn't have this team doesn't have a lot of depth, I and mean, that's because of the Russell Wilson trade. And you got to you know go get Sean Payton. You weren't able to develop that depth, but I think it's solely just going to be on you know the fact of can these guys stay healthy. So I'll say yes, they're going to surpass the number of thirty six sacks, yeah. but I don't know by how many. Does that does that is that thirty eight? Is that thirty nine? I sure as heck don't believe that it's going to be like fifty plus. Mm. And that's just because this team lacks depth. So you mentioned DJ Jones. We don't talk about him very much. And if you were to get hurt, what that would look like for an offensive line and what they're trying to stop. Talk a little bit about DJ Jones and his, his influence on this defensive line as that anchor in the middle. I like DJ Jones. I, I think, you know, the more that Vance Joseph can use him in on third down situations and recognize that he's not just this, hey, stop the run type of guy. The, the better off you're going to be. You know, I love, and Chad's been around Chris Kacerik out there in San Francisco as well, that defensive line coach. He has a one offensive line, or he has a one defensive line and a two defensive line, and he rotates the whole entire defensive line. So certain times, DJ would get those pass rush opportunities, and man, I would be afraid of a guy like that that could play the run, but also has that low center of gravity that could also transition into a secondary pass rush move as well. So I think DJ can be a six, seven sack guy for the Broncos as an interior guy, which that's good. That's that's actually great. Now, when you have Zach Allen and you have Randy Gregory and Frank Clark and Nick Benito and Baron Brown and coming off the edge, you know, you should be able to run it up in certain situations when you get to third down. 36 sacks for the Broncos last year on defense. Russell Wilson in 15 games was sacked 55 times. So they got to flip those. If they can flip those. Oh, man, that'd be great. We'd be in a good spot from the RomosLaw.com text line. Uh, we're talking about half a sack. Two guys that share one sack are balls. <laughs> That's a good one. It was really good. From the text line. Get a Thank point. you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't hear We haven't been hearing a lot from our Broncos this offseason. But the interception leader in the league last year, Justin Simmons, went on ESPN to discuss Sean Payton's impact leading into training camp. We're going to talk about that next.